If you would, take your Bibles and open them to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 21. As we continue in our our look at the, the life and ministry of Elijah. We finished chapter 19 last time and Elijah doesn't appear in chapter 20. Although we'll mention a little bit about some of the events of that chapter. But we're going to look at chapter 21 this morning. We're going to look at the entire chapter. It's a fairly, well, 29 verses, fairly lengthy chapter. We're going to start right away with reading. And uh, I'm going to let you sit down for this one because we've been standing for a while and it's a lengthy one. So beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he, Ahab, lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I'll not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders, the leaders who lived in this city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it, is, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and, and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was no one who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, with whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, and we see a great truth of how you treat us, Lord, your patience but, Lord, your also sovereign determination about our sins. Lord, I pray this morning for each of us as we examine our lives today that we see them in the light of your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At the end of the book of Numbers, there is an account with the Israelites as they go to enter into the promised land. They have reached the Jordan River and they're about to cross over. And all of the tribes are going to go over, and they're, they're, they're tasked with, with conquering the land and taking over. But one, one of the tribes, actually a couple, but one tribe in particular says, no, we want to stay. We're going to settle on this side of the, the Jordan River. And they, but they make a promise. It's the tribe of Reuben. They make a promise to all of the other tribes that they're going to leave their little ones and all of their, their animals and everything there. But the men, the warriors, will cross over the Jordan River to fight. And they promise, we, will, we won't leave, we won't come back until we have helped, we have done what we are supposed to do, and, and conquer the land of Canaan. And so the rest of the Israelites hear this bargain from the tribe of Reuben, and they say, that's great, that's fine, but understand this, and it says this in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, if you don't do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and this, and be sure your sins will find you out. That's a phrase that probably many of us have heard. We've heard it at, at, other, at other junctures. We may not know where it came from, but now you do. Be sure your sin will find you out. And here in the, in the chapter we just read in, in 1 Kings chapter 21, as we look at Ahab, we see a, a very vivid example of somebody who thinks he got away with it. At the beginning of the chapter, Ahab is sitting there apparently in his, his palace and he looks out of a window, I guess, or whatever, and he sees this plot of land, a vineyard. And he likes it. He thinks that would be good for me. I guess he wants to plant some corn. I don't know. He wants to, to use it. But he doesn't own it. And even though he's the king, he can't just go and take it. There are certain rules, certain protocol that he needs to follow. So he goes to the owner. He finds out a man by the name of Naboth owns it. And he doesn't do anything wrong. He approaches him and says, I would like this plot of land. I'll pay you for it. Or I'll give you a nicer plot of land. I'll do whatever it takes, but I would really like this. It's close to my, my palace. It would work out well for me. And so Naboth hears his, his uh, offer, and he refuses. 
Now, Naboth is not a, a, a just a jerk who says, hey, I don't like money and I could make a lot of money off this or anything like that. He says, I, I can't give up the inheritance of my father's. You see, to a Jewish person at that time period, the land, that it was, it was family land in a way that we can't even really comprehend today. I mean, some of you may have family land that goes back several generations. It's important. It has more significance than just money. But for a Jewish person, it was right up there with, with almost like a person. I mean, you just didn't give up your land just to make some money or to, 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 to score a quick buck. So Naboth says, no, I, I can't do this. He's a stand-up guy and says, no, nothing against you, Ahab, but I can't do it. And if Ahab had just stopped right there, if he had just said, you know what, that's good, that's, there's no problem with that, I made my offer, but you said no, we'd be fine. But he, <laughs> I like how the Bible describes his reaction. He says there at the end of verse 4, he lay down in his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. He sounds like a kid, doesn't he? You know, he sits there and he's like, what? And he goes and he lays down and, well, don't you want some ice cream? No, no, I don't want anything to eat. I'm just, he's upset. He's mad because he didn't get what he wants. And this is where it really starts to go off track. And for all of us, we can, whether we want to admit it or not, there's a little bit of how we respond sometimes when we don't get something we think we deserve. With what happens here with Ahab. He, he, he misses out. One of the things he forgets here is he forgets what he does have. He's the king. He has a palace. He's in his palace. He has vineyards that are apparently nicer than the one that he wants because he was willing to give those up. He has more than anyone else in the entire kingdom because he's the king. And this one little plot of land he can't have. And that's the part that just angers him. But how often in our lives do we just, when there's something that we want or we think we should get, if we don't have it, that's what we focus on. We forget all of the ways God has blessed us, all of the things. First of all, just the fact that we celebrated communion this morning, that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, rose from the dead so that we can have a relationship with with God, that we can have eternal life. How often do we just kind of go through life forgetting this simple fact is enough that if we didn't get anything else ever that would be enough more than enough but even beyond that think of all of the ways god has blessed us all of the things that we possess all of the great wonders that we have as americans but how often do we get frustrated with that which which we don't have i think probably the greatest example of this we just experienced it is thanksgiving and then black friday i mean black friday it's not even black friday anymore it's black thursday afternoon isn't it it's and, and and then you know it starts and it's funny. I mean, really, it is. People probably in other countries are like, "This is." We get up on Thursday and we gather together as families and we have this beautiful, wonderful meal and we're so thankful. God gives us all of these things. Thankful for my family and all the things we've provided. And oh, it's the whole day is set aside to be thankful. And three hours later, we're at the store pounding on people to get the things that we don't have. We went to, my wife and I went to, to Walmart on Thanksgiving that night. We were in Tennessee and we just, we were there. We didn't really get much, but we were just watching people. One thing that blew us away, there was a guy grocery shopping. There was a lady, I'm like, who grows grocery shopping? I don't know where you live that that was a smart move. But anyway, my wife was, we were separated at one point. She said there was this, this bin of socks, socks okay socks and there was a lady in the bin just like digging out throwing, and they were like you know a dollar off of what their normal price was and you go i mean i like socks but i'm not gonna 
belittled myself in front of humanity to get a dollar off a pair of socks. But here you have this, this, this picture of we're thankful for all we have and then what we don't. And we've all seen the stories of people even shoot people on Black Friday. Hopefully you've never gotten that way. But it's easy for, for sin when we get focused on, I mean, that's what Eve did, right? At the Garden of Eden. You'll be like God. The one thing you don't have, I mean, you have the whole of the world. Eat anything. Or do. But this one thing you don't have, and what did she get fixated on? What did Adam get fixated on? That's what happens with Ahab. And so he's sitting there in his bed just complaining. Now we enter Jezebel. Jezebel, who we've, we've looked at briefly in 1 Kings, but here we get a really good glimpse of what type of woman she is. She comes in, sees her husband, finds out he's, you know, having a pity party for himself. She asks, what's going on? And uh, he tells her, you know, he wouldn't tell me his land. You know, just she's been, she is a, a princess or she would have been a descendant of a king in another country. That's, they did these types of marriages. Where she was from, the idea that a king couldn't get whatever he wanted is just foreign to her. That's why you kind of see that question is, do you now govern Israel? Like, seriously, you're the king and you couldn't get this? You know, I, I think there's a sense she is embarrassed sometimes by her husband and his lack of a spine and everything. And she's... You want this plot of land? I'll get it for you. Go get, self, get yourself something to eat, and I'll take care of it. And she orchestrates this, this way. She recognizes you can't just have him killed. There's certain protocols. There's certain things that have to take place. And so she takes the seal of her husband. She writes letters and sends them to the city and goes to the leaders of the city and says, proclaim a fast. This is important. Proclaiming a fast would indicate to everybody in the city that something was amiss. A fast is a way of, of becoming before God and a way of repentance and a way of showing. We see this at the end of this chapter with Ahab. And so the people of the town where Naboth lived, when there's a fast proclaimed by the leaders, they would already, their antenna would be up, hey, something isn't quite right. And so she says, proclaim a fast so the people know something's not right. And then bring Naboth to the front and get two scoundrels, two people that do anything for money because you need two. Just one won't cut it according to the law. I mean, Jezebel isn't stupid she knew the law of the land she said you got to have two get two worthless people to accuse him and this is important of blaspheming god and the king and so they do and everything works out exactly as she she orchestrates they have the fast they accuse naboth who i'm sure is saying well i never did any of these things it doesn't matter there is no you know right to appeal or anything like that they drag him out of the city and they stone him to death and she goes to her husband and says, hey, that, that plot of land that you wanted that Naboth owned, he's dead, so you can get it. And the reason why Ahab now has access to it, because the accusation was that, he, that Naboth had blasphemed God and the king. By blaspheming the king, it's a sign somewhat of like treason. And rabbis would indicate that meant that land doesn't go to Naboth's relatives, it goes to the king. She knew what she was doing. So Ahab hears this, and what does he do? Does he say, honey, what have you done? Nope. He goes, and it says he takes possession of the land. Now, Ahab, he's not the strongest, you know, leader that we've, we've, we've come across in the Bible, but I, I can't imagine he's this dumb. I can't imagine that he's going, well, that's really convenient. He died? Great. 
He blasphemed God. This guy who was a stand-up guy just a couple of days ago, when I wanted to buy his land and he said, I can't do it, he just turned right around and blasphemed God on me. Well, I, that's great. No, he's not that dumb. He knows exactly what happened. She used his name. She used the seal. He's been around this woman. He knows what's taking place. He doesn't care. He's gotten what he wants. And the truth is, he's kind of gotten away with everything up until this point, hasn't he? I mean, down there in verse 25, there's this little parenthetical emphasis. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done. He had led this nation into idol worship. He had let his wife kill off almost all of God's prophets. When he, he witnessed on Mount Carmel the fire coming down and consuming the altar, it, it altered him for maybe a day, and then he went right back to his old ways. He had had people killed. He had done all of these things, but what had really happened to him? Nothing. He's still the king. He's still got his palace. He's still got his power, and now this one little thing he didn't have, this little plot of land, he's got that too. He's gotten away with it. And there's many people, probably some people in this room right now, who are just like Ahab. There are sins in their lives that they have gotten comfortable with. They've gotten used to because they've carried them out day after day, week after week, month after month, sometimes years or decades. And they think, I'm getting away with it. But we see in verse 17, that wasn't the case. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. It is easy to fall into the trap of thinking we're getting away with it. For, or Peter, in his uh, a second letter that he writes in the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, the, he, he writes about some of the people that behave this way. He says this. He says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. I'm stirring, them, uh, stirring up your mind as, as a way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, note this, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word of the heavens and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord is one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He says there, there's those that are going to come scoffers. And notice how he describes them. They're following their own sinful desires. They're living in sin. They're conducting themselves in certain ways, thinking, we're getting away with it. You Christians talk about this God of yours, this Christ of yours, that he's going to come back and do all of these things. But everything goes on just like it always has. My life continues on just the way I've been living it. And Peter then, after going in this little bit of description, he, he reminds them, don't overlook this one fact. The Lord, timing, his timing is not your timing. He doesn't do things the way you think he should do things. Ahab, I have no earthly idea why Naboth is the straw that breaks the camel's back with God. 
And I have no idea what it is in your life that is that last moment. That is the moment. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. We have ways that we say, God, you should work this way. Justice should come at this time. It should happen on my time frame. But it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that God is not paying attention. When I was in seminary, I had to memorize for one class about 150 verses. And one of the verses I had to memorize was Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. And the verse kind of sticks with me. It says this, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And it's that last part of the phrase that really sticks with me, beyond healing or without remedy. That here we see God speaks to Elijah and says, enough's enough with Ahab. His time is up. He's gotten away with it so long, my judgment is here without remedy. We see this in Second Chronicles chapter 36. Here it's at the end of the southern kingdom. They have been disobedient. The prophets had had prophesied to them for, for decades, centuries, calling them back to God, calling them back to the covenant. And Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar is right at the door. And this is what God says. And Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck, where have we heard that, and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. The officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all of the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on them and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets, until what? The wrath of the Lord rose against the people, until there was no remedy. We see that this is an aspect of the nature of God that we don't overlook. David thought he got away with it with Bathsheba. He commits adultery, she gets pregnant, tries to trick her husband into thinking the child's his, that doesn't work, so he has Her husband killed. Figured it all out. I'm good. Did he get away with it? Moses was told to go speak to a rock and water would flow from it. Instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and he hits it. Doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? Because of that act, God said you will not enter the promised land. Saul was supposed to wipe out an entire city and he doesn't. He keeps some of the the, the, the spoils of war for himself. Despite his pleas, the kingdom is ripped from him. And here Ahab, who had gotten away with it time after time after time after time, God speaks to Elijah and says, not this time, it's over. Without remedy. And Elijah shows up and he comes to Ahab. And Ahab says to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? What's interesting is that Elijah is the only friend he's got. If you really think about it, Jezebel, who he thinks, who's gotten him what he's wanted, he's gotten him this plot of land, is his worst enemy. And Elijah tells Ahab exactly what's going to happen to him. And 
if you read through the rest of 1 Kings and into 2 Kings, you see it's pretty much exactly what happens to him. What is the practical application for us in our life? Well, there's two things that I want to point about this. Be sure your sins will find you out and this without remedy. First, is that the gospel is only for this life without remedy for our ultimate sin before God is death. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, Behold, is it appointed for man to die once, and after that what? The judgment. That what Peter wrote there, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We, we see this picture of when we die, it's without remedy. There is no second chance after that. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man dies, and this, Jesus says he's there. He's in torment. He looks across, and he sees Abraham, and he says, just, just give me a little something to drink. And he says, no. In Revelation chapter 20, we see the great white throne judgment where all are called out from death and Hades. They're placed before God. There is no second chance. I had to read a sermon once by a guy named Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the picture of that sermon is basically all of us are in the hands of God and it's only his patience keeping us. But without remedy, someday there is going to come a point for all of us where he's going to let us go. Are we like Ahab? Are we like so many that think, well, I'm just getting away with it. I'm good. Everything goes on just like those scoffers. This, this, I do whatever I want to do. You talk about this, God. It, w- yes. The gospel is for this life. Second, our sins in this life can have significant consequences in this life. I talked about David and Bathsheba. I talked about Moses and the rock. I talked about Saul. There are things that we do. Some of you are are followers of Christ. You've repented of your sins. You're following, but there are sins that you are committing that you're hiding. You're continuing to live in them day in and day out, over and over and over. And God, because he's a, a, a gracious God, will discipline us. He will bring it out. I had a, a friend once when I was in ministry, and he was in ministry and got involved with somebody he didn't need to get involved with and went on for a while, and eventually it came out, and his ministry was ruined. Some of you think, well, I'm, I'm getting away with it. It won't forever. Which brings us to the very end of this chapter, which is the part that a lot of people scratch their head. Because we see there, verse 27, Ahab heard the words, look what he does. He tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth. He lays around dejectedly. And God speaks again. And this time he says to Elijah, look look what Ahab's doing. He's humbled himself. So I'm going to hold off for a little bit. It's still coming, but I'm going to hold off. So what do we make of that part? Well, I'll let you do this this week. I want you to read chapter 22. You let me know if you really think that this stuck. You see, what Ahab does here is what uh, a lot of people do. His sins found him out. He got in trouble, and he's, oh, no, I got caught. And so since I got caught, I, and God acknowledges it, he still has patience with him, but he, he you know, puts the sackcloth on all the things they did in the Old Testament. As a pastor of over a decade, I've seen this many, many times. People do something, they get caught. 
They get arrested. Their wife walks out. Their husband leaves. Whatever it is, they've done something in their sins. They show up at church, and then they, they talk to them. I'm, I've done these terrible things. I want to get right with God, and that's great. Praise the Lord. But after a couple of days or weeks or months, and things start to settle down in their life, and they start to be able to deal with some of the consequences, what happens to them? They're gone. All of that contriteness before God was really just, I got caught. I got to try and fix some things before I I, I get back to what I really want to do in life. Ahab, if you look at the next chapter, he's, well, he gets mad at the prophets and he says, nobody likes me. And he's just kind of right back to what he was. And so the caution to us is, listen, when we come to Christ, it's the beauty of what we did with the Lord's Supper. When he died on the cross, we come to him and turn our lives to him. We give our lives completely to him. It doesn't mean we're perfect. We're still going to sin, but we still continue to come back to him and saying, it's because your death on the cross, it's because you're the Lord of my life, because I've given everything to you. This is the picture of the gospel. That we don't live holding our sin in. We don't live trying to get away with it. We do, as we, we sang about several times today, we, we, we come clean. We have the forgiveness that is offered to us. We, we've all, everyone in here, if we all had to come up here and put on the screen all of our sins we've committed this week, I wouldn't want to be here for you all to see it. Neither would you if it was yours up there. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song where we say, there is none like you. It's a song about Christ and the fact that there is none like you, that no matter what we do, he says, you can still come to me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My prayer for all of us, me, you, everyone, is we don't hide the sins. We don't keep them inside saying, I just, I don't want anyone to ever find out how bad I am. We're all bad. But to repent, to turn and say, God, forgive me for this sin. Go find somebody that is in your life group or somebody you trust or the pastor or one of the elders and say, listen, I got this thing. I just, I've been living with it for too long. I I, I need some help with it. I'm struggling with it, whatever it is, but don't. Be like Ahab.